Brighton and Banter, episode eight. So much to break down and talk about. I know I'm miles late on this podcast, but a few disruptions have been occurring here in South Florida. It's partly cloudy with a few disturbingly dark clouds above Bradenton, so let's get stuck in. We've got packed shows, that's right, plural, shows with an S. First episode here, episode eight, we've got Brighton's win against Manchester City, Brighton's historic win against Manchester City, what a game that was, and the subsequent loss to Arsenal to round out the season. We'll do a little bit of a season recap, if you will, and then I'm going to record another episode, because we've got a lot more to talk about. We're going to do B&B end of season awards, we'll talk about Ben White in the England squad and earning his first cap, other Brighton players not in the England squad, a few other call-ups for the European Championships, Jose Izquierdo is on his way out. We've got a few other transfer rumors to discuss, both incoming and outgoing. Anyway, this is going to be some fun. Have it. Going into the City game, I was actually quite optimistic for maybe even a draw. Certainly for a good performance, at least. I mean, Brighton have always played Man City quite well, especially under Potter. I was also pretty happy because I knew that the fans that could be back would enjoy seeing this matchup. Not just because City are one of the great teams in Europe, which they are, but just the way Pep and Graham's styles overlap with each other. It's usually a pretty interesting chess match. Of course, also in the back of your head, you know that Captain Lewis Dunk isn't available. And Brighton were always going to be under pressure in this game. And Brighton had never won a game in the Premier League without Lewis Dunk. In fact, I'm not even sure Brighton had ever scored a point in the Premier League without Lewis Dunk in the back four. But from the opening kickoff, even from South Florida, I was just gushing with joy and enthusiasm because those of you at the Amex were absolutely fantastic. The almost 8,000 of you were loud, boisterous, a bit rowdy, a bit of everything. Absolutely glorious. And then Brighton would go 1-0 down immediately. <laughs> this didn't really change how I felt, and probably not for you all at the game either, because let's be honest, you can be optimistic or whatever, but you're never really expecting to beat Man City. The most frustrating part about conceding that early is just that it gives them so much confidence. It gives a team like Manchester City with nothing to play for just so much energy. And the goal from the Albion defensive perspective was just so poor. It's just not the right decision-making by anyone in the defensive third, but also you have to give Manchester City some credit because they exploit Brighton's weakness. And we've been talking about this on the podcast quite a bit, which is that Brighton basically play with eight midfielders. <laughs> I mean, okay, maybe I'm half-joking about the eight midfielders, but we certainly are playing with midfielders at both wingback positions. And now Mares has the ball one-on-one with Big Dan Byrne, inside the box, and Modere, operating in that wingback area, doesn't know if he should go help Dan Byrne or stay keeping an eye on Joao Quinzel on the edge of the box. And really, he needs to go help Dan, because Dan can't stick a leg in. Mars is going to go down. Mars has way too much time, doing a few stepovers, chopping onto his right, then back onto his left, and just floats an absolutely perfect cross to the back post where Royal Gundogan just taps it in. I mean, he's basically unmarked. Rose takes his eye off the ball for a split second, and that's it. He can't recover in time. It's a brilliant cross. Completely takes Sanchez out of the game. But you wonder, if Brighton had two traditional fullbacks in there, does that goal get scored? I'm not sure. But it was this moment when that goal went in that the fans really made the difference because Brighton didn't have anything to play for, and neither do, do City. And when you have a match where there isn't much to play for, it's the momentum swings and the confidence that reverberates through both squads that kind of sets the precedent for the game. But here, Brighton didn't really have a choice. They had to keep their energy up. They had to keep their heads up because, well, the home crowd was back. And they were pushing them on. And they had to give them something. They had to show the home crowd something. 
And the crowd got their reward on nine minutes when Cancelo gets sent off. Now, is this a red card? Well, for me, it's not. But I'm a bit of a traditionalist and one of those old souls who likes to, you know, let the boys play. But this is one of those decisions in, in modern football. Firstly, the crowd helps, because I think Stuart Atwell hasn't heard a crowd yelling for a call in a while either. And he kind of thinks about it for a second, and I do believe that the crowd encourages him to show a red. Secondly, it's 2021. That's just the call that's going to be made 99% of the time, I'm afraid. The defender just doesn't get the benefit of the doubt in these situations anymore. And regardless of what you think, and again, I'm not so sure, but it's also one of those calls where VAR's not going to do anything. They can't do anything. Because there is contact. They're going to stick with the call on the field. And we've seen this time and time again in the Premier League this year where when there is contact made, it's just not a quote-unquote clear and obvious error. So once Stuart Atwell decides that it is a red and Cancelo is gone, he's gone and there's no coming back. And that's unfortunate, but here's the reality. You're going to need a bit of luck and a bit of help to beat Man City, and that's just the truth. They are so good, even when it's 10 against 11. It doesn't matter. And when this happened, I was happy not because I thought Brighton were going to come back in the game, but just because for the crowd to be back, there was drama, there was excitement, City had scored. Now they were down to 10. It seemed like a great match to be at. It seemed like a great environment. And also, while we're on the topic of decision, I did think Brighton should have been awarded a penalty on 59 minutes for a handball by Eric Garcia, so maybe the call is sort of evened out. And then Brighton really, really, really started to press higher and higher up the field with the crowd and the extra man. They really began to press Man City. They began to recycle possession. There were moments, like really long periods, where City just couldn't get out. The midfield, or whatever you want to call Brighton's midfield, really started to impose themselves. And having eight midfielders does sort of help this. <laughs> and again, I thought I thought Basuma was just another monster performance. He didn't allow City to have a moment's rest. Alzate, I thought he had himself a game. Modere was just violating Eric Garcia, who'd come on to play right back after Cancelo had been dismissed. Although I guess he's now Catalan Garcia after his move to Barca with Kun Aguero. Anyway, whatever. Gross also was having himself a game. I thought Trossard looked really lively as well. Welbeck obviously was spinning in behind quite a bit, causing lots of problems. Handbash, who I thought was going to get sent off for a second there when he left his foot up on Gundogan in the first half, was, was trying really hard. Sometimes he tries too hard. Actually, a lot of the time he tries too hard. He just needs to have a little bit more composure, but he just... I guess he hasn't really had the game time for that. But I thought it was our back three that was really making the difference in the first half. They were pushed so far forward. Byrne, Webster, and White were pushed so far forward that they were basically pressing City's midfield. I mean, they were way up on City. I mean, they weren't allowing they weren't allowing City to get out. They weren't allowing them a second on the ball. City were clearing the ball out, hacking it out towards Robert Sanchez. It was really incredible because we've seen City down... 10 men over the years, but never like this. Never have they just struggled so so brutally to get out of their own 18. You go to halftime, City are up 1-0, and then coming out of the break, Brighton concede immediately. So 2-0 down, which is obviously just the worst time to concede in the game, and there isn't really a lot you can do. This is just a one-on-one situation from the midfield line, and Foden just gets the better of Ben White. There's really nothing else you can say. I mean, Ben White got the better of him in a similar situation in the first half with a great block, Foden gets the better of White here. I mean, you know, I tip my cap to Phil Foden. That was an absolutely fantastic goal. He beat Brighton. He, he beat the Brighton back line, and he, he takes it so quickly as well. Sanchez, I don't think, was expecting it to come that quickly. 
Uh, regardless, he finds the corner. Sanchez, by the way, not at fault for either of the two goals, but if you want to know a player who was really rattled by, by the crowd, I think, Sanchez, he was really shaky, fumbled a couple balls out for corners, struggled to claim at the first attempt, just kind of awkward from him, which is surprising because he's supposed to be Mr. Calm back there, and he, well, really, he has been all season. But I think the moment kind of got to him, understandable. I mean, again, he hasn't really played in front of the MX crowd before. And he d it didn't cost us, but just, just something that I noticed. But the two-goal lead, which again would have been just exponentially demoralizing for as long as it had lasted, especially with how against the run of play that second goal really was. But City let Brighton right back into the game. Rodri, was that the reason he didn't start in the Champions League final, by the way? Was that the reason Pep Guardiola didn't play a six in the final? Yeah, what the hell, why not? I'll claim it. You're welcome, Ibramovic. Rodri, yeah, shocking ball, straight back to Trossard, who sits down the Premier League's player of the year, Ruben Diaz, and finds the near post on Ederson. Genius, lots of touches, but he seemed confident, and he finished it. And again, at that point, I was just happy for the fans because I wasn't sure if Brighton had another goal in them, but I was happy that the home crowd could see a moment like that. It was really fun, great goal by Leandro Trossard. But I will say that that goal really fired everyone up because from that point on, it was all Brighton. And I mean... All right. I think Brighton must have had 75 or 80 percent of the ball for the last 20 or 30 minutes of the half, and the pressure paid off. The big boys stayed up, and Webster tied the game on 73 minutes. Running start, just able to rise above the flat-footed Fernandinho. There's not a lot he could do there. Not a lot Ederson could do. The ball finds the corner, and I knew Brighton were going to win at that moment. Once that Webster goal went in, I knew Brighton were going to win. The crazy half the field celebration. I guess that's what Pep was mad about, but the writing was just on the wall. And I was just stunned when I realized that that was Adam Webster's first goal of the campaign. Because he's a better set-piece threat than that. I mean, one goal? And I know Lewis will always be the target. Come on, we, we need a few more goals from you next season, bud. And then, just a few minutes later, speaking of first, it's the man, the Dan. Big Dan Byrne. Have some of that, city. <laughs> and wow, I was I was 1,000% sure he was offside. There's no way he's onside, except... He is. That's right, folks. On 76 minutes in a 2-2 game with Manchester City, Dan Byrne is played in one-on-one -on -one with Ederson. And the best part is he fluffs his lines completely. The ball gets buried under his feet. He does really well, actually, to dig a shot out. Good initial save by Ederson, but he puts it back. He's the first to react. It's with his weaker foot. He finds the far post around Ederson, and it's 3-2. Absolutely unbelievable scenes. The NBC commentary here in the, in the U.S. Couldn't believe it. I was jumping up and down, screaming, singing. My shirt was off in celebration. And you can see what a popular Dan, guy Dan Byrne must be in the locker room because the celebrations for him, just from the other guys on the, on the pitch, were just euphoric, and it was just fantastic to see. And then in the first minute of stoppage time, Brighton, I thought I'd just given it all up, which, which still would have been a great moment. Uh, for everybody, obviously, it would have been gutting to uh, to not finish it off. But Webster, I don't. What was? I guess he just wanted a bit more drama. Uh, took the ball away from Sanchez, and I think he's trying to play it out for a throw-in, but uh, he just gave it away. Huge save from Sanchez initially, and then great reactions to tip it away from Foden. And then what you saw is just a man out of form. And that ball fell to Eric Garcia. I was never worried. His mind was in Catalan. And that's fine. Full-time, first points against Manchester City in the league. And what a first win against City in like something like 40 years. Absolutely incredible. Jubilation everywhere. And then the camera turns to the managers. 
Now, and Pep and his staff are clearly very upset about something. Now, I've since heard Graham apologize and Pep as well, but this is really stupid. City didn't like the way the Brighton staff celebrated the goals, I guess, or maybe it was Adam Webster's goal when he basically ran towards the benches to celebrate. I don't, I don't know, but really? First of all, I haven't even been able to find a clip of what Pep was really upset about, so I'm, I'm not really sure what it was, but regardless, unless Potter, Billy Reed, and Bruno all ran up to Pep and started giving him simultaneous wet willies, then Pep shouldn't be crying about anything. You just won the Premier League. You won the Carabao Cup. You're about to play in a Champions League final. You were seen as the best team in Europe at that time. It's the first game back with fans. The home team came back. They're celebrating. They're allowed to be happy. This is Brighton's Super Bowl. This is good for the league. This is good for the game. And Pep couldn't handle it. It's amazing what 8,000 y'all did, rattling everyone, including Pep Guardiola. Fantastic. Up, up your city. And, and heck, Brighton got the ball rolling. And if it snowballed into a Champions League final defeat, well, oh well. You know, I've got no sympathy for that. I'm claiming it. You're welcome, Chelsea. Brighton got the ball rolling on City. City got bossed. They had less than 40% of the ball. Brighton thumped 19 shots towards Ederson. 8,000 people were celebrating. And the manager with the squad valued at over $1 billion couldn't take it. He couldn't take it at all. Have it. Now, this brings us to the Arsenal game. Now, full disclosure... Arsenal are one of my least favorite clubs. I think their players are shockingly overpaid and overhyped. I think their manager is way in over his head. I, I find the club just generally repulsive, and I especially find their fans super delusional. So I was personally hoping that Brighton would thump these misfiring guns out of Europe 2 or 3 nil, and end this stupid 25-year European streak. But I also had, well, less than zero expectations because Arsenal had their fans back. Now, if you want to say that Arsenal fans uh, back at the Emirates uh, dump uh, is an advantage, that's your decision. I will not. But they did have their fans back, and they needed to win in order to have a hope of even making it to this new European Conference League. And then for Brighton, it was the classic game after a big win type of thing. And even though a single point would have been a club record 42... And that was kind of a big deal. I wasn't expecting much. In the back of my mind, I was hoping that Lewis Dunk, being back, maybe he could rally the gang for one last hurrah. But it just wasn't really meant to be. Brighton had about 46% of the ball and could only muster five shots on Burnt Leno, one being on target, to Arsenal 16 shots, five of which tested Robert Sanchez. And Arsenal, should we even be calling them that, or is it Real Madrid B? I'm, I'm a little bit confused there, but... And take that stupid visit Rwanda patch off your shirt sleeve. Joke of a club. Maybe try finding a sponsorship that's a little less corrupt. Ridiculous. I do like Smith Rowe, though. He's a real player for him. I really liked his game against Brighton. Tyranny as well, causing lots of problems. Thomas Partey is a player and a half, in my opinion. Although at his age, maybe the price tag associated with that transfer is a little steep. But I think he's a better player than what he's been for Arsenal this season. I'm personally not as high on Saka as everyone else seems to be. I think he's kind of an arrogant D-bag. Um, and then Pierre Emerick. Look, folks, obviously you don't give contracts like that to players in their 30s. But I don't have any sympathy for the guns whatsoever. And then for Brighton, I thought the midfield was just a delight to watch. Uh, even though we were kind of at sixes and sevens in the back at various points in this match, 
especially playing such a high line. We played a shockingly high line. Our back three again, just like it was against City. I guess we forgot that Arsenal were still playing with 11 players because we were way past the midfield line a whole bunch of times and, and got caught on a few occasions. Arsenal didn't score on any of those quick transition plays. But still, I will say that having Jakob Modere in the midfield instead of at his makeshift left wingback position just was absolutely fantastic. And I am really excited to watch him play in the midfield next season, assuming that, that Basuma ends up departing, which I'm, I'm not really sure that he will. Uh, but either way, Modere in his natural position is just absolutely fantastic. And I'm really excited about the future prospects of the Brighton midfield. And Brighton were playing really open in the first half, and we're pretty fortunate to come out at, to, to get to the break at nil-nil. Few half chances for, for Thomas Partey. Didn't look like much of a goal threat, but he did get into some annoying areas. Gabriel maybe had the best chance, clipping that, that header up and over Sanchez, catching the crossbar. Would have been a genius header had he scored it. But then early on in the second half, again, just a miserable time to concede. It's Pepe, Nicola Pepe, another player who has drawn the, the ire of the London unfaithful. But I think Modere needs to intercept this pass. I think he needs to be in a better position. He needs to be another two or three yards closer to Sanchez, or at least be clo closer to Nicola Pepe. He shouldn't allow him to have the time to have a touch, turn, and fizz one past Louis Duncan. Couldn't quite get over to get the block in. I thought he looked a little rusty. To be expected, obviously, he missed the two games previously thanks to his silly red card against Wolves, and then through the legs of Sanchez, and gosh, every time I see that, I feel like it's on the keeper, but goodness me, Pepe hammers this one, and I, it's hard to blame Sanchez, but, but Brighton did need a save there, and, and he couldn't get one. Now, at this point, Aaron Connolly came into the game. Mate, stop diving. Just stop. You go to ground if somebody blows on you. You know, I hope we loan him to Millwall or something like that next season. Do that over there. You will literally get beat up in the parking lot. He needs to rediscover some fight, some attitude, because he's lost all of that. He's gone extremely soft, and it is pathetic to watch. Very disappointing. How about you score? You know, it's not, it's not your debut against Tottenham anymore. You know, that was a while ago. And yes, that was legendary. But if you want people to remember that, Aaron... Don't be a one-hit wonder. Score some goals. Work hard. Literally do anything that doesn't revolve around diving. Now, honestly, our new partnership with, with Hibbs in Scotland could be good for him. Let's send him up north. People will beat him up a little bit and maybe come back with a little bit more energy. And then Pepe finishes the game on 60 minutes. Dan Byrne, pretty unlucky. Cuts, cuts the pass out, but it bounces back to Arsenal in possession. They recycle it. Pepe slips through. And then pass Dunk again in between Dunk's legs. Just gets caught flat-footed, Lewis Dunk. And Pepe, just way too much time and space. Sanchez is unsighted. I don't think he can get down quick enough. And, uh, yeah, that goal just defeated Brighton. They didn't have the energy or the desire to put any kind of effort needed to get back into this game, which is understandable, but still disappointing. Because, well, look, Arsenal just aren't that good. So had Brighton played with a little bit more about him, I like their chances to score at least one, but oh well. Wasn't quite meant to be, and that's that. 41 points. Well done, boys. Up the Albion. We'll do a lot more discussion about individual players and tactics and, well, pretty much everything in between this offseason. But just to sort of summarize Brighton's progress this campaign by looking at their points tally, obviously 41 points, joint record for Brighton in the Premier League, 
But how Brighton got to those 41 points this year is, is just incredible. 21 points at home, 20 on the road. Now, that's not really surprising when you think about the pandemic and there not being fans in the grounds and, and everything in between. But it is kind of shocking when you consider that at one point this season, Brighton's last three home wins had all been in different calendar years. Now, against the top seven, Brighton were absolutely fantastic. 13 points from 14 games against those top seven teams. Obviously, highlighted by the Tottenham win and the four points taken from Liverpool, and the fact that we never lose to West Ham. This is easily the best points return against the best clubs that Brighton have had in the four seasons in the Premier League. Under Chris Hutton, Brighton took nine points from those 14 fixtures both seasons. Seven points from those 14 fixtures last year, now 13 under Potter. Massive improvement there, in my opinion. Now, against the nine other mid-table clubs, we took 24 points from those 18 fixtures. Also, the best of Brighton's four years in the Premier League, highlighted by doubles over Leeds and Newcastle. We took 20 points from those 18 games both years under Chris Hutton. 21 points last year, and now 24 under Graham Potter. Again, this is wonderful improvement. Against the teams relegated this season. Now, this is just incredible. No wins. Four points from six games. Easily the worst of the four seasons. And just makes you wonder what this Brighton project could have even been this year if, you know, we had just beaten the three worst teams in the division. 11 points and seven points from those six games under Chris Hutton in both seasons. 13 points from those six games last year and now four under Potter. But for me, this is the biggest sign of improvement. Yes, we have become less consistent against the quote-unquote bad teams, and that's okay. We've been crying out for a natural finisher, a natural goal scorer, a talisman, a target striker to help against the low block that the struggling teams often employ against us. And this will help our record against those teams when that comes. Again, we had Glenn Murray to help score lots of goals, lots of headed goals against those clubs you know, in the first couple seasons. But we can play with and beat anyone in this division. Moving forward, that is extremely exciting. Because as an Albion fan, the sky's the limit. And uh, we'll get into predictions and whatnot for next year, but I'm looking for a top 10 finish this season. I really am, regardless of what happens in the transfer market. Anyway, that's pretty much a wrap on this episode. We're going to dive right into the next one. Here with some more Brighton news, some transfer rumors, end of season awards discussion. Up the Albion. Have it.